I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One app is life. It's not the one you should be underestimating. It is. Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness. We rap nerd now here, right? Like I can tell you were a nerd. It's primal. And that's raw. Carhartt girl. Speaking of sneaky big tits. Are you out there fucking? I'm doing that. <laughs> years ago, I bought a millionaire Brooklyn. This was years ago, bro. Years ago. Years ago. Years ago. Cypher Sounds. Peter Rosenberg. One app is life. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Oh, and also, Saif. Hey, yo, what's up, Jake? Hey, what's up, yo? What you need, yo? Um, um, yo, you got that do have summer jam joint, man? Nah, yo, that nigga ain't even bring that shit by, yo. Yo, damn, what's up with that nigga? You're some crazy boy. Light up the goddamn plugs, motherfucker, cause I'm back and thought I moved out. It's just that I got so much ass on the cool out, so I took a break from the tape, now I'm awake, cause I'm back. Camp Crystal Lake. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Duwop is on one app. Duwop. I hate that rhyme. What? What do you, you hate that rhyme? That was the rhyme that inspired me, unfortunately, to rap on my Summer Jam mixtape. <laughs> That's when we used to rap like, if you could, if you could describe it with your hands, it would be like, <laughs> you know, like the, like the, like the party and bull, bullshit of Biggie, like the, you know, so. <laughs> Wait, well, anyway, so, so, I, I get it. I get it, though. I appreciate no, that. No, it hit. It hit. It felt at the time. Maybe it was just the fact, the beat selection. Maybe it was just that puffing on blunt, sipping on Tanqueray. Oh, my God. When we found that instrumental during that tape, that's it. It just, it, it clicked. Sife, where does one even start with DJ Doo-Wop? Let me tell you how I start. I'm super excited about this episode. Doo-Wop is top three DJ in my life. Personally, as a as a as knowing him personally, and just a fan of his mixtape game and his rhymes and the way he did it, um, so you know you know how how nerdy we are on this on this show. So I'm super excited to have WAP here, and this guy, man, I don't know, man. Like, yo, let me WAP. Let me tell you what I did recently. I took all my favorite doo-wop mixtapes, but sometimes I don't want to hear the whole mixtape. 
And also, if you, I, I, I still put music on my phone. Like, I don't just stream. I put MP3s on my phone. So sometimes I don't want to hear the whole mixtape. So what I did was I just took five to eight minute selections from all my favorite WAP tapes and just made them like individual songs. And just put, so on my shuffle, it'll just be like eight minutes of doo-wop. And it'll go to something. And usually the parts where you, where you talk on them, right? So like I would take like doo-wop. Doo-wop had the dopest hip-hop mixtapes, but then he also had the cool-outs. The cool-out tapes is like R&B, party vibes, or sometimes real smooth R&B. So I'll have like my little R&B playlist as I'm driving home. And it'll just be like a, a 112 song or even like a... Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then all of a sudden, just Duop's voice just comes on top of some shit, <laughs> and people are like, "What's like?" If they're in my car, they're like, "What's happening right now?" Right, right, I'm right. Like, it's fucking... Some people now, you know, they ain't gonna get it nowadays. It's like, yo, tell him to shut up. Like, we don't want to hear that. You know, they just want to hear the song. So, Wop, your where did your uh, hip hop story begin? Uh, bro, I was so I was so lucky. Like, okay, so born in LA, but raised in NY because uh, wow, that's years. trivia I wouldn't yeah. have ever known. No, he yeah, always bro. says it. I he, really, oh, bro. He if he plays an LA record, he says it. Just oh, in so the club. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born there, but yeah. I live fucking. I'm from here. Like he <laughs> always has a disclaimer. All <laughs> <laughs> right. So so yeah, two two years old. We already landed in in NY, Brooklyn for a little while. Started working our way up, ended up in Manhattan, and we ended up in the BX. And like when I say lucky, I mean like the area where I grew up from 72 all the way to the house I grew up in from 72 all the way to 86. That's where everything like transpired. And that's where like Grandmaster Cass lived three blocks to my, to my left. Dada Rock and Whip Whip three blocks that way. The park where they did the wild, the wild style basketball coat, Fresh Fantastic was right up the block, you know, the park that we play in. It's like everything was, you know, everything was in, 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 in you know, right outside my window, opposed to just me hearing the tapes. Hearing about, yeah. You were there where they were making the tapes. <laughs> right. With that, so, that everyone else heard about hip hop through these tapes. You were there hearing it as they were making them. At the jams, yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, obviously couldn't get in the clubs they were doing, but the jams. and um, Wait, Well, are you Puerto Rican, though, right? Puerto Rican and my dad was Cuban. How did they go to L.A.? <laughs> I don't know how they got to L.A. Like, they like they, they met in in L.A.? Like a Puerto they Rican? They met in New York, actually. They met in New York, moved to L.A. Oh, God, I got it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So then anyway, so then we came back to New York because of the earthquakes. My mom just, you know. Couldn't do it. So, <laughs> wait. So, what year did you actually land in New York? Seventy-two. Born in '69. All right. So we're there. So I'm nine years old. You know, that's when I think "Rap Is the Light" came out. You know, every time it came on the radio, we recorded it with the boombox. Just it was crazy, right? But then this guy started hanging with us. He was a little bit old. He's like three years older than us, and uh, he was hanging out with us, and we called him Cheese. He said his name was Cheese, and he's chilling with us, and you know, playing basketball, whatever we're doing. And then one day he went in the house, he went to my house and he was like, yo, your mom's got a, um, your parents have a, a, a record play or whatever. And I was like, yeah. So then we were like, we were like messing around and he showed me how to make pause tapes, basically. I didn't know who this guy was. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't know, I didn't know the magnitude of years later. I'm gonna try to make it like kind of brief. Fast forward, this guy's on the cover of Grandmaster Flash as the newest member of Furious Five after Melly Mel left. 
He's Mr. Broadway. If you look at the old cover where they all got blue, royal blue leather on, that was that's Flash's cousin. This guy was Flash's cousin teaching me how to make ball stakes. And I didn't, and obviously I knew who Flash was, but he didn't even say anything. But he was just a kid in the neighborhood. He was a guy, yeah, a little older than us, like I said. So we, you know, he kind of like went off and did his own thing, disappeared or whatever. And then all of a sudden I see him on the cover of the album. And so that that's the guy that taught me how to, he got me into the DJing because the pause tapes really, you know, intrigued me. And then from there, I think it was my ninth or 10th, it was a 10th birthday, I think. They got me like a whole, they got me the two turntables, SLB1, Technique SLB1s. Gemini mixed some speakers. I don't know if they were gem sound, but they were official. Amplifier receiver. So that's how. All that in one birthday? One birthday, bro. That's great. You had some good parents, bro. And by the way, and we're talking about, we're talking about like 79, 80. Exactly. Saif, I would not have guessed that Doo-Wop was learning to DJ that early. I don't think I would have guessed that. I would have thought it'd be 86, 87, maybe something like that. A lot of DJs I speak to, though, like obviously of my age, they all like kind of they have this. We have that in common. It was like around nine years old when they knew like that's that's what they wanted to do. I, you know, it was just like nine or 10 years old. And, you know, that's what made me just I mean, I, that's why I, I guess that's how I stayed out of trouble, too, because I stayed in the house all the time just messing with the, you know, with my DJ equipment. That's all I did all day, every day. Your your first like available tape we're not going to jump there yet but just to get a little context of how long you were doing it your first like available tape was what what year 89 89 okay so almost 10 years later so about 10 years of just learning the craft Mm -hmm. yeah before people took notice like when did you start doing gigs were you the little kid dj coming out in the park so around 82 about 12 years old that's that's when i wanted to run the streets so i got kind of like sidetracked okay about three years, I'm just like not even. I'm, it's just collecting dust in the crib. I'm not really doing too much, running around. I mean, I'm still into the hip hop, the culture, and everything, but I wasn't into the DJing as much as I was. So I think it was '86. Well, Eric B for president came out '86. Yep. Just the the aura of Eric B, like just him, just like looking as important as Rock Kim. Like, you know, always the DJ, you know, even back then when I was younger, it was always, you know, the guy in the back. Yeah, we played an important part. Us three as, you know, real guys of the culture, we understand how important the DJ was. But to the naked eye, like it was the MC that was the important guy. Right. So when Eric B and Rock Kim came out, like that guy was just as big. He looked just as big as Rock Kim. The chains, the drip, you know, everything that kind of pushed me back into like, okay, dust my stuff off. Like, that's what I wanted to do again. Like, it it was a resurgence, whatever you want to call it, like, of, you know, I I got interested again. And that's when I really went hard. That makes sense. But the equipment's still good, but the equipment was still in good shape. Equipment was still good, but I was about to throw it out. I even put records out on the street for my friends and just go ahead and take, like, I throw stuff away, yeah. And then you came back in and, and went hard, I'm guessing. Like, you said you got some help. But like, how much did you know as a kid? Like, were you, how much were you able to observe and absorb in terms of like just learning what to do? Like I said, like just watching, you know, the DJs at the park right down the block, you know, IS-137, PS9, all these, you know, Rock and Rob, big DJ back in the days, he would every week, he would DJ in the park, watching these guys, what they were doing, um, studying my craft, just, just practicing too every day. And um, it got to a point where, all right, so... We can move up a little bit if you want. Like high school, I went to John F. Kennedy. Ooh, sorry to hear that. Say that to your boy, probably the greatest kicker pre. He was in, we went to school together. 
Uh, I never knew that because I know you guys had a little drama. But I wasn't doo-wop yet. Right. Mind you. I was just a DJ, right? But I'm, I know who he is. Was he already Kid Capri? He was, he, he, he was already Kid Capri. It was, I think, 80, 87, I think, that I see him in school. I seen him a few times in school, whatever. But you could tell he just had it pop, and he would do the parties. He would do the jams and all that. And um, that was another, like, okay, we DJing. What are we doing now? We're doing parties. That's the voice that I hear. Every time I go to Harlem, every time I go down Huntsville. Well, Capri? Yeah. When you're learning to DJ, are you rocking the mic yet or no? Not at all. I didn't buy a mic because I didn't, I, I didn't even, that, was, that wasn't in the plan. That was just, but then when you hear these guys, you hear the Brucey B, you hear Star Child, it's like, bro, like the DJ taking control, the DJ being the star by himself, not needing anybody, you know, so... That's what pushed me into trying to make tapes. Obviously, those tapes that I started making that I never even let see the light of day, probably. But I was trying, you know what I mean? I kept until were I Were you any good? Did you have a touch for it? Could you blend? Could you scratch in by high school? Like, were you all right? That, well, that's what I was mostly doing. Because remember, I wasn't really cracking the mic. But when I started trying to do the tapes, I had to, right? But, you know, I had to find my voice and, and you know, not copy what these guys are saying. Kind of like learn from them, but not try to sound like them but at the same time some people always said that i did sound like him so but i'm like yo what do you want me to do like i'm i'm just you know i'm i'm, I'm it's hip-hop style yeah right? you like you, you you're learning from these guys so it's it rubs off a little bit and it's like when it got to a point when i let you know my boys here and they're like okay now we ready to go that's why i said it was like 89 i would think i start like giving the tapes out that's when i start giving them out you make a mixtape, playing a bunch of joints, and then you just give it to your friends in high school. I, I dropped out by that time. <laughs> I was in the hood giving the tapes out. So then I was working down, um, was working downtown and um, on Reach Street by Cham- over there by Chamber Street at a flower shop. I was working there for like two years, and in the meantime, I mean, in between, obviously, I'm still trying to do this tape thing. Now, mind you, we're all the way down by Chamber Street. I live all the way up here in the Bronx, so. To take the train, you got to take the A to 125th and switch over to the D. I would always have this thing like two or three times out the week. I would jump off at 125th like I supposed to, but I would come outside and go to like what we call like the Mecca of mixtapes, which was Stereo Palace, directly across the street from Apollo Theater. It was an electronic store, right? They had, you know, TVs and all that stuff, DJ equipment. But in the back, they had like the the, the display of mixtapes and they would they would sell mixtapes there. That's where everybody would go. Mostly everybody would go to get them. Speaker outside, when you walk by, you're going to hear these tapes. Obviously, probably the latest one that they got from Capri or Star Child or one of these guys, Bruce E.B. So I would just go by there just to like absorb that, you know, like like almost to like get some more inspiration. You know what I mean? To go home and make something better and da da da. But my tapes ain't in there yet. I mean, the only people that know me at this time are people on my block. So I grew a pair and I walked in with a tape and I said, can I leave this with y'all? I don't know. I didn't know how the business even works with that at the time. So he played it. He liked the beginning and that's all they really do. They listen to the beginning. If they like the beginning, they'll give it a chance. He was like, well, we're not going to pay you for it, but we'll, you know, we'll sell it and we make some money. And I think I heard this story before. Was it a 60 minute tape? Okay, boom. I walked out. It was like locked up abroad when you when you when you finally get past security with the coat and then you think you're on the plane, they'd be like, sir, that's what they did to me. It was like, yo, we don't do 60 minute tapes. 
Instead of going home and making a 90 minutes tape, I was pissed. So next weekend, I set up in front of their store with 20 tapes of that 60 minute tape, a box, a radio, um, a case with the 20 tapes with my name on it. And I, I don't know what it was. I don't know. It was a date. Back then, we only we always called the tapes the date that we made them, right? 112, 91 or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And I sold the tape. And I, it really, I, yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. sold out or, or damn near sold out. It did really well, like right in front of their store. So how much did you sell them for? 20 bucks. $20? Yeah, I was selling for 20 bucks. Holy shit. Capri told us too, like 20 seemed like the going rate. I mean, but yeah, but granted, I mean, nobody knew me, but guys heard what, what you know, they liked what they heard and they got it. So that's how it started the Harlem thing. So like I'm now I'm working my way down, which I mean, you just say up, but you know what I mean by in, in the, on the map. Bronx, now people starting to know me in Harlem because of that one tape. And you went in front of the store that didn't take your tape. Yeah, they didn't care. They making, you know, crazy money anyway off the other stuff. They didn't even care. They ain't beef about it. Um, but then after that, they, you know, then I made a 90 minute tape and we took it from there. I didn't have to do that again. They actually started selling my tapes from from that point on. If it was 60 minutes and they weren't going to pay you for it, they could have just gave them out or like charged 10 bucks. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have to be like, we don't we don't. Hey, you know, this illegal tape you gave us that we're going to sell illegally. We don't take 60 minute versions. Like, yeah, I, that's so It's such a random hill to die on. But give okay. it out as a, sale, uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a fucking added bonus. When was the first time you started, like, uh, it started really clicking? What tape was it? Was there one tape well, in particular? Like- my favorite doo wop tape of all time is spring either 90, I think 93. What's the one where you rhyme over the al- alcoholics beat? F R E S A. That's with the bounce squad. Bounce squad, yeah. My tape is written on it. It says spring. No, you're right. You're right. Spring 94, though, but it's spring 94, not 93. Here you go, Sife. So, what you doing tonight, baby? Yeah, this, I'm about this to hit my up favorite mixtape ever. Ain't no party like a bounce squad party because a bounce squad party's all right. The bounce squad bum rush is critical Niggas get lyrical, niggas get physical Whatever, we can do it old school style with Adidas Bring it to the park, take your woofers and your tweeters Do wop the DJ for the night, hook up to the light Now, we- now it, you know, Steph, it's interesting that he played the uh, alcoholics You know, I don't know if you know this, but doo is from L.A. Raised in New York, but from L.A. <laughs> That's right, That's it's not in the soul <laughs> Yo, if you look at the truck We also rhymed over gin and juice on that On that Bro, same intro That's my favorite mixtape of all time. Yo, now that I think about it, hold up. Deep cover, gin and juice. Were we trying to do something like, oh, no, no, no. There was other, there was other beats on there. Like, Lord Tariq rhymed off a check the rhyme on that intro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. But then you did also have a Dog Pound exclusive on this, on side B. I think it was from a soundtrack. They had Dog Pound for life. So then you did have West Coast flavor. This tape, man. Bro, but that t- the bounce squad. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. I'm too excited. I'm too excited. We're we're almost at the bounce squad. We just got the Capri thing was in between. From the time I said I put out a tape with Stereo Palace and the bounce squad, the Capri thing happened in between. All I remember, I went to my friend Baye's house. This is how I got into hip hop. His brother was way older. He bought every album that came out and every mixtape. Every Tuesday, he would go buy the latest albums and every mixtape. And he bought the doo-wop tape. And I'm at my boy Baye's house. He lived in Parkchester in the Bronx. 
And he goes, yo, you got to come to the crib. He goes, this guy's dissing Kid Capri. That was 1192. That's what the tape was called. January 1st. Wait, is that with the, with the bitch-ass homo shit? Oh, no, no, no. That's what kind of made him do what, do what he did. That was like a few months before that. that oh, I was have like 1192. I have 1192. So it's something 91. It's Kid Capri shout out from Dwick and then bitch ass homo from Scenario. So it's like, Kid Capri, you bitch ass homo. Kid Capri, you bitch ass. I was like, how is he doing this? That is 1192 or something else? That was more of me cutting, trying to diss him like with cuts, right? That was like 11 something 91. 12 3 91, he came out with his final tape. Had nothing to do with me being his final tape. He was about to just go to. Mars right after that. He was doing Death Jam. He was doing all that. But it just happened to be his final tape. He did a whole intro about me, mind you. I was only known in Harlem and the Bronx at the time. So he helped me immensely with I, I thought I was to be able to quit my job after I heard that he dissed me. Well, what was the <laughs> what was the beef about? It was about nothing. It was and it lasted seven years. Seven years. <laughs> you know what it was? It was it was uh his boys and my boys saying this and saying that and adding stuff here and there and we believed it but he didn't have to believe it he'd been like yo f that dude man like he did two verses dissing me do up your career's over before it started that's how he started the tape i came home again from my flower shop job i'm home about seven o'clock sns calls my phone i know sns now. i met him on 25th while i used to be out there selling my tape so i met him in like 91 so he calls me and he says yo your boy's about to kill you tomorrow i was like what are you talking about let me hear it. Kid gave it to him, I guess, to, to listen to. And he kept it. He's like, yo, this is coming out tomorrow, bro. Shit. I started writing right then and there. I'm like, okay, let me hear it. Let okay, let me rebuttal that. Let me rebuttal this. Thank you. And then I waited, though, for the top of the year. I just thought it made it like a bigger, you know, let, the, let that marinate for a month. And I came out 1192 with the response. I also did two verses. I did. I rhymed off a check to rhyme, I believe. Were you rhyming already? Yeah, I was already, I already rhymed a couple times on the tape, so it, it made sense. He went hard, bro. Try to listen to some of the rap. or were you upset? I loved it. I could say that shit word for word. Yeah. <laughs> so, so even back then, as a young person, you, you got it like, oh, this is going to be good for me. Oh, I definitely did. I wasn't even upset. I was like, that's uh, it's obvious. Like, it's, it's going to happen. And then, to make it even better, he called me a spick. And you know how much that helped me with, like, Puerto Rican people that, that loved him? They're like, wait, bro, why are you going to call my man a spick? Like, come on, man. <laughs> it was beef after that. It wasn't even music. 
it was like just beef. Like I went to a, uh, do a party in Virginia. I flew in. I was with like two people. He showed up with like 30 dudes to the door from his, they were on his tour bus with him. They tried to come in and rush us. And for years, like I, you know, my boys went to his block where I, I'm, I mean, God bless his mom, you know, recipes. I've been where she lived, you know, back then and looking for him and waiting on the block. It was crazy. It was, it was, it was very ignorant. It's funny, like sometimes just being in the same space and being similar to someone, which I'm sure then led to you guys getting along once you actually did know each other, is you you realize the similarities you had in the first place. Yeah, we, you know, the time he invited me to, like we we squashed it, I think it was at Roseland. So I don't know, something happened at Roseland and my boy, who was like a, a major player in the street, you know, uh, he was my road manager and um, well-respected. Even Capri knew who he was before he was rolling with me. So he's like, yo, we're going to like, you know, nip this right now, da-da-da. Then one time Capri called me and said, yo, come to my crib. I'm going to let you hear this beat. We should do a song together, da-da-da. And I went to his crib and I went by myself. I was like, yo, let me just go. I'll go to his crib. If you go to his crib, you go to his nice house. Went downstairs to his studio, sat there. He twisted something up. He's passing it. He's smoking. We're passing it. Now I turn around and I realize this is a dude just sitting right back there by himself. <laughs> I didn't know. I was there for like an hour before I noticed that. I'm like, what? So then when this starts kicking in. Oh, you get paranoid, that? Huh? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take the beat home, bro. Just put the beat, put the beat on the table. I'm going to take it home. It was cool, though. Everything, yeah. We, we talk. It's all good. After that diss, are you officially on fire? Like, is your next tape? Absolutely. Booking started coming in. I literally, that's the last job I have, bro. That, that freaking flower shop. Langdon Flores, Reed Street. What that is, is what we now call viral. The diss, and then you respond, and you drop it New Year's Day, 90, what you said, 92? Yeah. Rosenberg, I don't know how much you've ever experienced this, but like, just walking down the street, Fordham Road or 125th Street, and different stores would just be playing mixtapes, you know, or cars, and you would go, you would have to go get it. Like, yo, what's this? Or you would ask them, like, yo, what you playing? Oh, that's this. Or the bootleg tape guys on the streets like you would have to go get it and that's like what we now call going viral where like you share it on your phone but this is like you going to have to go buy because you hear it two things one i i wish i experienced it more i didn't you know like me really when i first started coming to new york and going to hear music it was it was more i'd go to record stores right you know what i'm saying so yeah. i'd hear a tape at fat beats but i wasn't going i wasn't on 125th hearing the bootleggers play and just buy shit so when I started getting tapes, my brother started getting them from people in New York. But the viral thing's interesting, Scythe, because back then, doo version of viral, if that were today, it might come and be gone in 10 seconds. Right. And everyone's like, oh my God, you had a viral moment last week. Right. But now it's a new weekend. Yours took time to marinate. Like people, people found out about it. You know, it, it took longer. It was harder to get it. But when you got it, it had more of an impact, I think. Yeah, that, that's the ill way. That's like the flip side, too. Like So now, now, 92, you dropped that tape. So now you're hearing it in cars going by? Oh, absolutely. That's the first time I ever heard of one of my tapes, like, other than my hood, obviously. Now I'm trying to be more consistent with the releases, obviously, too. I never dropped every month. I, I didn't think that. Because even like you said, back then, it, it, it took, like he just said, it took time to marinate, you know, for a tape to last months or whatever. So... I, but I would I would be more consistent with the releases. Well, and let's and let's let's stay there for a second. How were you putting the music on the tapes? Like you you could not have had white labels of everything. So how were you physically producing the tapes? It was all vinyl. 
it was all vinyl and I would I would spread things out. I would do my tapes where obviously my my niche was the, the rapping in the beginning. It would be just me rapping in the beginning of my tapes. That would that was what I did to kind of separate myself from Ron G, SNS, Triple C, all the guys that, you know, the elite at the time, if you want to call them, or the guys that were on their way up. That whole era, that 92, 93, 94, like Ron G, Double R, Double R tapes were fire. You can just name us. Like, it wasn't that many. It was just a few that everybody would check for. And like I said, Capri has stopped already. Uh, Brucey was kind of just doing other stuff. So anyway, um, I wanted to separate myself, so I would do that. But then I would try to grab some exclusives or get something that's fresh off the press or just coming out. And then I'd do a few blends in between. It was like my tape was a, a little bit of everything. And that's how that's how I would do it. But yeah, it was all it was all vinyl. Obviously, it was all vinyl. I didn't even mess with four tracks until until I started doing like bounce squad stuff, you know, because I needed to separate the vocals and stuff. But that was it. Like it was straight to a cassette deck. I mean, at that point, you, you'd still get some stuff early, but it wasn't because the mixtape era eventually in the Clue era, it really became about getting the exclusives, you know, like straight from the label, you're getting a dat. Whereas at this point, you want to play stuff early, but you're able to get everything on on wax. But early back then, though, Peter, is like if you go to the record shop and they just dropped a new single from a new group and you buy it, the DJs buy it first. So even though it's out in a record shop as a 12 inch, it's still early to the masses. Yeah, because everybody doesn't go to the record shop on that Tuesday. The back then, remember, it was every Tuesday or something. Um, uh, Tuesdays, records would drop. Yeah, you're right. It would be, you know, it would still be a lot of people. Yeah, and you'd pick, and it would be about what you picked to play, and if you played the B side or the A side or whatever. Yeah. And once you start, once you start getting names, start getting connected. I remember somebody connected me with uh, Dr. Dre from Ed Love and Dre, and he had like a record pool or something, whatever. I didn't, I wasn't down with the record pool or nothing, but he would give me like every time I come see him, like stack of records. And I remember being his white label, and it was Red Man's album, The What, and. It was about to come out, but it's still, like he said, it was still going to be brand new, especially the, the album cuts, not the single. Even if you play that, it stood out on a tape as an exclusive at the time. Of course, because at that time you heard Red Man on an EPMD album. You might have heard one single. That's it, really, like two, three joints. I would go to Discorama. They would have whole stacks, you know, 10 copies of a promo that someone from the label just sold to the store. And you would need to be in the first yeah. crowd to get them. And you get them. Now you have something early. Yo, man, it, what a fucking time. You look at the track list on these on these mixtapes, Saif. But that's what's crazy. We didn't we didn't put track lists on tapes until 96. But, every, you know, obviously when people started bootlegging them, they'll make their own track list. They'll even rename our tapes sometimes. Like They used to kill me. They used to like... Just rename stuff. That, that was bugged out. So turntables in the crib, a microphone. Did it live. Cassette deck. So like if you fucked up, you had to start over. Start again or excuse that. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how deep in the tape were. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, something like that. Yeah. But yeah. But then, like I said, then, you know, four tracks came into play. It wasn't cheating or none. It's just playing it smart. You know, like uh, instead of talking while you're DJing now, let me just lay the music down and just concentrate on the music. I'm going to record all the music first. Then I'm going to like almost study where the good pockets are where I want to say things. As a doo-wop fanatic, I can tell the difference of your early tapes when you were literally doing it live and later on where you put the vocals in after. 
and both are fire, but I can tell the difference. But you difference. know the difference. Like the live, I mean, also I knew you very well watching you DJ and party. So I know your abilities to do it live, but I could tell, I remember where you, where I was like, oh, this is different. He's got, he's now got, it might even been Pro Tools might've started coming into play and like, oh, he's, he's putting this part in later. Cause before you would hear the volume drop, you bring the volume down, talk, bring it up. Did you ever have days do up when you like just could not get started? Like every time you do the first part, you'd fuck up and have to start. By the time you were like starting, you already fucked up the original tape. That happened to me more with the raps. Like if the rap didn't sound the way I envisioned it to sound, you know, or something like that. So I would have to do it over and but over again. You would again. do the raps live? In the beginning, I would. You would play a instrumental, talk, and then rap, and then get the next yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, I would go straight through. But that's up to like 93. That, you know, 89 to 93. That's crazy. Soon the bounce thing came into play. That's when I started the four tracks. So that's, boom. That was, uh, it was like, oh, this is easy now. Here's doo-wop 5192. This is on vinyl, do up? Yep, all vinyl. That's vinyl. Wow. I remember that. That was the Wild Style um, soundtrack. That was I got that at the Wiz. Um, uh, that's the only place I saw that. Like I was bugging out when I saw. I was like, I had to get it. It was uh, at the Wiz on 149th Street. Um, yeah, but it was all vinyl back then. P. Like it had to be. I mean, on, and when we start getting exclusives on Dats, obviously, like you said, and even cassettes. Like I got in '96. I got the uh, Taish Harris from Columbia. She calls me up and she says, well, she just come here right now, right now, boom. She says, I'm giving this to Flex tonight, but I'm giving this to you. He's not going to get it until you put it out. Obviously, I ruled the world, which the radio. Nas, yeah. um, Nas wow. she gave me Street Dreams. I was like, and she gave me the Nas Freestyle in 86. Over the, over the oh, big one, yeah. Yep. All I, and it was a cassette. Wow. I think I still have that cassette in my mom's crib. It's a cassette. It just said, Nods, three screens. Yeah. <laughs> Escobar season begins. Now keep the word up. Repent oh, you were gassed. Sins. You were gassed playing this. Yeah. Nine, six. Yeah, yeah. Track master. So Check it. Make it hot, son. Come on. Sparked alive with the 840, I fly. Pretty thugs show no love. It's like with doves cry. Maybe I'm just too demanded. Parked the land. So funny, too, because I'd much rather premiere that than the If I Ruled the World. Like I, I always thought that the freestyles we put out before that album, the album was good, but to me it never met right, how right. I felt and when he, I heard that. When, when I played that, I didn't act like he did it for me because I, I thought that would have been corny. Like, that was, that was going out to all the DJs, but I just happened to get it first, right? I even played it after the intro. The intro of 90, of that tape, was 
we redid the Hot 97 Morning Show. Uh, What's up, y'all? What you got to say? So we remixed that. And I had Ed Lover rapping on the tape because obviously it made sense. I had uh, uh, Fab Five because they were blazing hot at the time. I had Smooth Hustle and Trigger, Law Finesse, Busta Rhymes, and myself. And we did that. It was like a maybe 15-minute rap intro. And then I think I started the tape. This is the Ed Lover freestyle, it says. What's up, y'all? What you got to say? Who's on the tape with the hot DJ? It's the nigga Ed Lover, yo, the freestyle fanatic. Keep a full pound in my waist in case you bitches won't static. Well, that sound cool, and that may be. But where you representing in the NYC? Shit, nigga. Ed Lover straight from the Q borough where MCs are real and niggas are mad thorough. Now, the topic of discussion is the mighty MC. Of nowadays, who has no originality? Not like my nigga D. O-W-O-P, who's not just a DJ but also an MC. We rule the parties in the NYC. Get off the dick and let us S-H-I-N-E. Bro, this is bringing me back so many memories. This is such a subculture that's so New York specific. And I know it's spread mixtape. Because when nowadays when you talk about mixtape, people talk about 50 Cent, how he was doing all those freestyles and uh, 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 almost basically kid people doing albums, but they are not officially released through the legal system. So it's like a mixtape. But NPR needs to do a fucking one of them documentaries on the subculture of the tapes. Well, that is the, the, the documentary that Tony Touch produced, which has all that. Has a, yes. A, a OK, got party. It. Yeah, it's listen, there's more to do. But it's pretty thorough. And like they make a clear distinction between this era and then it gets to drama and canon and then they go into what it became. Those are basically like underground albums. I get how it worked out the way, but they're not mixing like these do. I was mixing records, cutting up, blending. You know what I mean? Was the thing doo-wop that changed it and took you to another level and also made the game a little different for you, 95 Live, was that like the the game changer? Absolutely, it was. 95 Live is an album, bro. It was um, the first time any known rappers, I mean, you think about it, in 95, Cuban Links, uh, only built for Cuban Links, Raekwon just came out, Buster was on fire, Fat Joe with the Jealous Ones Envy, you know, these guys... Um, came through and did my tape and it wasn't a it wasn't even like a business freaking transaction and it was like yo these guys wanted to rap on the tape and who knew like who if all these other DJs knew that these guys wanted to get it off the way they did on a mixtape obviously somebody else would have thought of, you know came up with the idea or, or or got at them first but i just you know it, you know it was a it was a long story where you know once i knew when Buster rhymes I met Buster Rhymes and he knew who I was. That's what like put the battery in my back to say, because he said our, our final thing when we, you know, after we met was, this is the last thing he said to me was like, anytime you need me, I'm there. That alone made me say, you know, it gave me the confidence to approach a Raekwon or I already knew Fat Joe. Before that, it was just the Bounce Squad rhyming. It was like your peoples. I mind you, I, I put those, I grabbed three to four different people from different hoods that didn't know each other, put them together and created my crew, the bounce wall. Right. Yeah. I guess, I guess that, yeah, I'm thinking that I remember hearing big artists on your tapes, but um, yeah, 93, 94, it was just y'all. The only thing we had from big artists prior to 95 live were drops that everybody would get, you know, yo, yo, this such and such. I'm chilling with that. 
That's all we had. But those meant a lot though back then. Like they were big. But once I got that battery in my back and I got these guys and they came to the studio and didn't even like rush, like they would sit there all day, right? You know, it just, and then it made me, you know, I, that, that tape, I didn't make another tape in 95. I made two tapes in 95. In the beginning of 95, I made a cool out tape around Valentine's Day. And then I made 95 live. Damn near November, December it came out. Technically 96-ish. Yeah. And then 95 live two, I put out in 96, but it was because I just wanted to keep that brand. Does your Diaz brother, compadre, Tony Touch, credit the 50 MC to 95 Live? He absolutely does, but we started off kind of, it was a rough, it was kind of rough <laughs> in the beginning. He, after I did 95 Live 1 and 2, 50 MCs came out. So in that tape that you just uh, were playing with Ed Lover, in the beginning of that tape, in my rap, I always started, like, even if I had, like, the biggest MCs, I always... It was just a tradition. I would rap first and then they would all rap after, right? My rhyme, I rhymed off of the business of De La Common and I went at Tony without saying his name. So then he went at me on his next tape after 50 MCs. And then a mutual friend got us together and we just left it alone and we, we, yeah, we came up with the DS. Let's be real. When Tony did 50 MCs, just by naming it, 50 MCs and doing 50 MCs, you are trying to up the ante and be like, yeah, what you did was cute, but I'm going to show you 50 MCs. <laughs> right, right. My intro for, for 95 Live was like, it sounded like it was so long when before 50 MCs came, but it was like 24 minutes long, bro. 24 minutes of a 90-minute tape was just rappers just spitting hard, right? Like just going, just, just bars for 24 minutes. Yo, do I represent and boogie down to the fullest? Fuck all the bullshit and nine five, I'm coming with the full flick. Automatic, oh, static, yeah. with the Buddha addict, can be tight, tragic, so act like magic and retire from the game. game. Roll you out the frame like the number four train in your face. Alright, so do I first? The most beautiful thing in this world is New York City. We get in ya. F Squad, Keith Murray, LOD. Keith sounds crispy. This is it your house? Studio. Studio. It's my thing. A lyrical gang bang on the wax. Act other than yourself and catch a mat to the back. Plus, each and every time I bust, I make real neat. So let me tell you something real quick about Keith Murray. He was out of here when that when he came to do that, because it was, you know, most beautifulest was on fire. He came through. Now, if I couldn't talk to the artist direct, even though Buster put that battery in my back, if I can get to him, cool. But if, if not, I'll call the, the street team guy or, you know, the A&R or something. So I called Eric Skinner from Jive at the time, which was the A&R, I think, right? And he yeah, said, absolutely, I'll bring Keith through. Keith came through like he's the only one that acted, that it seemed like he didn't want to be there, even though it sounded like he did. It was like, yo, let me get this done and we out. Right, because he was on fire, and he and he was like, I, I'll do it if I have to. Yeah, but Ray was on fire, but Ray came there and stood there all night. Even when MOP came, he stayed for their session, and, you know, it was just, well, Keith was on some, I'm in and out, but he, he sounded great and killed it, so I was cool. But he got so much traction from, even though he was on fire, they said people would ask him to do that verse at shows. Wow. So 95 Live 2, I asked, Somebody put me in touch with Redman. Redman comes to the studio and Keith walks in behind him. 
He was like, I'm doing, I'm doing this one too. I'm doing this one too. He and he rapped him and Redman did off the head off of um you're a customer, I think I gave him. From uptown, five won't pull us over, so we had a 380 came from the weed spot. Uh, I'll put the gun by the driver. Word up, we got away. I thought y'all niggas gonna have to come get me from jail. <laughs> Yo, but I don't give a fuck, niggas get stuck. Jump out that truck. I smack the fuck out of hoes. Bitch ass foes. Ho ass niggas. Feel the impact of the brain like my trigger. Don't you know who please enter in that ass like a anus? Cause you know you're famous. Did I flip the strip? I'm coming in your fucking Flip the whole set when I get down like Waco Tex. Next, I get down. Who's the next nigga that wanna flex? Check. My resume makes your vertebrae when I get. Mimsies wanna get down. Your whole style is kind of fit. Flip a homo when I have to bust your asshole. Yes, sure. Cow vicious won't get wrong. I'm sick too. They were in the booth, obviously, just buying out. But he was like, you know, I mean, now he's with it. You know, so it was, it was, it was kind of crazy when he did that. And um, that same session. Q-tip, that sparked the Q-tip Ice Cube little drama. Cause in his rhyme, he said, To you West Coast haters, we will bust your shit. Who said that? Q-tip. On 95 Live One? On 95 Live One, yeah, Q-tip. That that wasn't the same session. I'm sorry, that was the one before the other keyboard session, but that was the same day though. He did that rap and he said that in Ice Cube kind of, I don't know how he responded with it. It was through, I don't and it wasn't through a song. It was like, you know, he responded like in an interview. Is New York in the house right now? I'm about to get my man. Two whoppers, my man. For the whole New York fan. Check it out. In New York City, which is a big fucking town, we got five different grounds. We got the man. Wow. The reason why I even did the is New York in the house in between everybody. Obviously, you know, we're gonna all represent our boroughs, but it was because that was a time when the thing started with the source and all that. Source source. So we nobody was nobody was egged on into like, yo, go at the West Coast, but he said that at the most, like the worst time. That when he came in, it was bugged out because he he told me to just play the beat for like 10 minutes and he went in the booth. He didn't write. He went in the booth and rapped for like 10 minutes. And then he said, can I get a pen and a pad? He sat, sits down and listens back to his freestyle and he starts like doing surgery. Certain lines he said off the head, he made it into that right there. Well, uh, let's see what's on this one. Representing Brooklyn. Rampage. Oh, check it out. Straight from the flip mode we should play Busta. Uh, where's, where's Busta? Buster predicted the future on this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did that whole rap about coronavirus. Five years This was when he was getting very big on There's Only Five Years Left. He was the, 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 
You know what I really think? I think the Illuminati listened to 90s hip hop and they just adjusted their time frame a little bit. They're like, yo, they're on to us. And they, they paused it as, instead of being the year 2000, they, they moved it up a little. Niggas don't really realize how fucked up the world is about to be. You know what I'm saying? With that old go and re-register your name shit at the post office, get social security cards, numbers as your name, nigga, take away your kids, state on your seeds. What the fuck is that? I'm coming with some old ultrasonic shit. Do wop, flip motors the squad, bust around. That's one take, bro. One take, one take meaning, I mean, one track, like all those different voices he was doing, he was just doing it like live. You know, Raekwon was just staring at him like this in the glass. I had the little studio I used to rent out, like $40 an hour called Noise in the Attic on 38th and 8th. It was like right around the corner from D&Ds. Tiny, tiny, one session, MOP, Q-Tip, Buster, um, Rampage, Ray, so yeah, he brought Carlton Fist with him. Carl, that's Meth, Meth's cousin. Speaking of Meth, you also had this on there. I'm rolling with my click. Al, backwoods and Philly, smoking sets, but mixed with Illy got me flushed here. Now the See, whole- that's a that's a picking the right album cut moment. Um, so how did you pick the uh, Bounce Squad? It was weird because I was having like an audition for like I don't know why we were doing this, but it was for some video, something like for some dancers. We put these flyers out. We did these handmade flyers in like ninety. Three was it or something in the beginning of 93 and 92 and it was like uh we're having like a doo-wop is having a whatever audition for dancers these two guys came from eden wall projects which is north side of the bronx they came all the way down to where i was at and they were like we're not here to dance we're here to rap and they spit and they were incredible that was rev Gotti, and well people who know the bounce squad would know them as rev Gotti and all that um, A-U-L-T-H-A-T, whatever. So they were friends from Eden Wall and they just, that made me like, just switch it up. I'm like, hold up, you know, maybe we should do this now. Maybe, you know, like I'm hearing these guys with a fresh ear. I don't know who they are. Nobody knows who they are, but I'm loving it. So why not, you know, like give them a shot. Like, let's try to, let's try to make some noise together on the tape. So then I had met this is all like I'm meeting these people around the same time. So it took a few months to put it together after I met these guys, but that's what it was. I took, I met Snagglepuss on the concourse, like walking back from a party. Somebody was like, yo, Snagglepuss, that's doo-wop, yo. He's like, he was like a, you know, he was the man in his hood and people wanted him to hear me. And I mean, me to hear him. And um, so I just, I, I just put it all together and we kept to like concepts of, whatever's going on in the world at the time or or if it was like you know christmas time obviously a christmas tape with like a jingle we'll flip the jingle all these things are so common nowadays but back then nobody was doing it so um you know flipping other people's songs like the 50 is known for and takes credit for doing first I mean, everybody was doing that like in the early 90s like we were doing that in the early 90s why didn't snagglepuss make it as a solo artist like he he was on your tapes he was on the Pudgy the Fat Bastard album. He was like close, and then it never seemed to quite happen. I um I got my deal. I got I got signed to New Tribe Virgin in nineteen ninety three or ninety four. They only they signed me, but the thing was, see the the New Tribe was based in L in L A. They had mm-hmm. the, they had just signed the Loonies. <laughs> Your original. <laughs> they they had. They signed Loonies and they signed me. And the Mel Ice, which was the A&R for New Tribe, was from New York. He 
he told everybody there, he was like, yo, this guy got a crew with him. Why did we just sign him? So me not knowing the business, I let them sign to my, they offered to sign them to, to add them to my deal. I hadn't even got my advance yet. So me not knowing what's, you know, the business side, I let them sign to my deal. Snagapus, Unique, and one, one, uh, one of the other members. Split that advance. Everything was cool. Everybody's excited. And then New Tribe just drops a bomb on us and says, we're moving you guys to L.A. for a year and you're going to work with N.O. Joe. Mind you, all that sounds cool now. But back then it wasn't because we were in the streets in New York. We were we were following every like I said, the concepts, everything that was going on. We were staying in tune with everything. We felt like we would have lost touch being out there. Uh, you're going to work with this guy. And you're going to work with Def Jeff and all these people. I'm like, hold up. Like, what about DJ Premier? P-Rock is here. Like, Premier's here. Like, these guys, like, we have the budget. It's like a $300,000 budget. They were like, no, that's what we got to do. So we all went home, had a meeting and said, let's just ask for a release. Let's give this money back and ask for a release. Everybody said yes. This was you being signed as a, as a rapper? It was gonna be doo up in the bounce squad, the album, like an album, doo up in the bounce squad. Yeah, not like not like one of those grabbing artist songs, and it was gonna be us. So we asked for the release. Mind you, we just got the deal. Like we asked for a release because of that. They took some time to do whatever they had to do. They got back to us through my lawyer, Bruce Jackson. Bruce Jackson says, "Wow, they're gonna give you the release. You don't have to give any money back." but they're keeping Snagglepuss. And I was, what do you mean they keep, he says he wants to leave too. He says, no, he actually agreed to stay with them. He moved to LA for that year for me. I can't tell you what happened. I don't know what went wrong, but it never came out. But he, you know, that's why you didn't hear him on tapes no more. Like after 94. I mean, you like definitely was, got upset about that, right? I mean, everybody was more upset. Like, yo, what, you know, like I always tell everybody, that's, that's, that's our method, man. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to the bounce squad, you're waiting for that part too. Like really waiting for that part, you know? Yeah, but see, you're, you're, the crazy shit is, bro, is in Wu in your Wu Tang analogy, Meth is always the the dope is the best. But I always waited for RZA, and you to me was the RZA of the Bounce Squad. You know what I mean? Nope. One of my favorite songs is um the you know the Bounce Master. Was it called Bounce Master? That's what got me my deal actually with Neutron. That song. I put two thousand copies out and I sold them hand to hand. And that it, it it got on their radar. So you pressed a thousand vinyls. Two thousand vinyls. Two thousand. What tape is that on? It wasn't even on a tape, was it? Yeah, I put it on a '93 tape, but I, I don't know which one it was. I have two copies, bro. That's one of my favorite records, yo. You have more than me. You don't have any copy? I don't think so. Like that joint from the go bro. Yeah, 
Cause doo-wop is the champ Blowing up spots while you're blowing out your amp nigga. And you figure that you're bigger than the wobster Use your own shit or the water have to drop ya And put that gat in your mouth like a straw Now tell me, who's the bounce master, baby, Paul? See, remember, that's 93, so that's the in-between the kicker press within the time frame of the kicker free beef. I said, uh, some try to copy, but you just can't sketch it. Bounce, then you do that whack bit and stretch shit. Ben and stretch. But yeah, the Ben and yeah. stretch is really from Showbiz and AG's record, and I didn't even think of that. So I'm at the Fever one night, and B.O., God bless, you know, B.O. was the enforcer of the whole Bronx. Like, he's, you knew to move out the way when he's coming through. He comes to the DJ booth in the fever and was like, yo, come dance, come dance with us. And now I'm going to play like an album. I'm like, I'm going to be a wild down there with this dude. I don't know. He was like, yo, sit at the bar. What you want to drink? I'm a red sour. I don't know. I was just scared. I just picked like a crazy bitch drink. This guy goes, yo, that, what you said on the, on the record. And I didn't put all this time. I'm sitting there with him. I'm not putting two and two together. That he's, that's showbiz's brother. B.O. was like, like this was showbiz. He's like, yo, you really went at them like that? I was like, nah, I was going at Capri. He's the one that saved that. He was like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, all right, we good, we good. He ain't gonna kill me, bro. So, I mean, obviously everything was cool after that, but that's it. It was one of those moments, bro. So my same friend, Baye, that I was telling you about that, put me on to mixtapes and albums. The first club I ever went to, I, and, and in 10th grade, I moved to Long Island, but I would still come back to the Bronx to visit my friends and family. First club I ever went to, we went to the Fever. Where was the Fever again? Tremont and Webster. And that, that was your night? That was the fe- that was the new Fever, you know, the old Fever. That- yeah, the new one. Yeah, yeah. You're not, not the, yeah, the original Sal yeah, from the, the Bronx. Fever but it was. The same, but the same owner. Sal yeah, the Sal, it was Sal, yeah. Because I remember I was on the, lo- bro, I've waited online maybe four times in my life to get into a club. After that, I started, you know, DJing and, and got to not have my, the biggest thing in my life was not to wait online. Like I was like, I don't wait online. I don't even think I was of age. It was, was it 18? Well, that's what they got rated for. So you probably got it even if you weren't of age. You got rated. One night I was DJ. They took my records and everything. But I remember seeing, I was trying to be a DJ and you're one of the first ones I actually saw in a party. And I was just fucking mesmerized, bro. Like the way you rock a party, the way you rock the mic. I got this. This is my DJ style. Everything I know about DJ is from DJ Riz. Riz taught me all the technical aspects of DJ. Funk Bass and Flex and Big Cap taught me music selection, how to play the hits. And then you can sandwich your new shit in, but make sure you play a hit, play a new song, play a hit. Like all that I learned from them. And then rocking a party, touching the microphone came from me watching you at the tunnel a couple times and then and then when I used to open for you at Club Speed. But you don't understand, like, what I do now, I do stand-up comedy. It came from, first I was just trying to copy you. I would talk on the mic just like you and then my friends would be like, bro, you sound, you're saying his slogans. You can't say that. I'm like, I just got to get it out so I can learn it. And what differentiated me from all the other DJs is I started just saying little funny shit, but with that New York DJ, Mike Bravado, and how you would say slick shit and street shit, I was like, I wonder if I just like make like a little joke. And that's what spawned my whole fucking comedy career. Because people be like, when I was done, when you were done DJing, they'd be like, yo, you rock that shit. 
And then when I was done, they'd be like, yo, you was funny, yo. Like a girl would be like, yo, you funny. So that's what like got me down the shit. But I remember studying you and speak. I was, bro, I was done at what time you ever got on? 12 o'clock, one o'clock. And I stayed all night. Because I remember you right. Remember I used to come back to that booth with like 30, 30 dudes. Remember I used to come back. Psych used to be just stick it out, right? Chilling. I was like, yo, Psych, ain't you got to go upstairs? Because I thought you used to DJ upstairs after. I think Max used to Yeah, sometimes, upstairs. yeah. DJ upstairs with reggae. Blazer. Yep. So I used to chill right there because back then, we would, you know, I is no lie. Like before speed, maybe that day or the day before, I would like, I would set up that first fifteen minutes. Every, everything after that is winging, but that first fifteen minutes, grabbing them records like this right out. You know, like I didn't have to look through the through the crate. So it would just be, and I'll just line them up, and I'll be like, okay, this this is gonna get them. We gonna get them with this, draw them in, and then boom. But y'all, y'all, I mean, that was a good combination, bro. We all had that joint. Rocking before I even got there, but it was like, but you knew how to, like, how to navigate through. Okay, I know Wop's gonna come in with, like, when Scrubs came out. I mean, when No uh, Pigeons came out, uh, Sporty Thieves. We knew, like, I had to play that at one o'clock, one thirty. Of course. So it was like, you know, it, it, it's like, un, you know, it's like you didn't even gotta say it. Like, you know, I, I had. So remember the Muse, Sife? Remember the Muse? I never went to the Muse. I heard of it. Whenever Don't Sweat the Technique came out, I would say 92, Rock, every being, I was DJing there like every week. So I'm DJing there this night and every being Rock Kim, I'm going to perform. This is, you know, it's a flyer. It's everything. They're good. It's, everybody knows they're about to perform. And I played Don't Sweat the Technique when they walked in. <laughs> the lady, whoever the promoter was, she ran to the booth, started yelling. I was like, because this time, remember, this is, I'm already feeling myself. Well, you know, why yells at me? Like, don't fucking yell at me. And she's like, you can't do that. Like, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> no one yells at me. I'm fucking DJ doo-wop, goddammit. But you were doing it in appreciation. Yeah, that's what that's he thought. What thought and that, that's one of those things that I could, anyone could make that mistake until you know, oh, you never play the record of the person who's there. Hey, doo-wop, will you give us a few more, a little more time on Patreon? Whatever you want to do is fine. What I got to do here, though? Nothing. You just stay doing what you're doing. But you, our audience, if you want to hear more with doo-wop, um, and we got a lot of bunch, a bunch of other stuff we need to ask him about. Got to ask him about Biggie and Pun, and and deciding to work with to do the Diaz brothers with Tony Touch. There's a lot to do, so go over to the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Juan is Life for more with Doop. If there was ever a moment where you were trying to decide whether you should join us on Patreon or not, these stories coming up. <laughs> ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.